Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. Christ the Lord, O oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory forever proclaim. His power and glory forever proclaim. These are powerful words. And we have been um, going through this series and we've been following the verse, uh, first and second and third verse of O Holy Night. And that's where these words come from. And their meaning is deep. And there's truth there if we just take a minute and let it sink in. So, this morning, you probably could, but you don't have to shop Amazon right now and buy more gifts. Right now, in the next 30 minutes, you can relax. You don't have to clean your house for family coming over. You don't have to cook for the meal that's coming. You don't have to do any of those things. You can just take a deep breath and relax and think deeply about hope. This series has been about hope, and we've talked about hope being an option for you if you want it. If you want hope this season, it's an option for you. And that's, that's, a, that's a powerful thing. But it takes something. It takes time, and it takes focus. Hope came down from heaven in the form of a baby lying in a manger. Isaiah, the prophet, wrote about Jesus many, many years ago. Isaiah used the words, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Those are deep names, and they have significant meaning. Many have described Jesus in many ways. In fact, you could probably find a song for every description that you could find of Jesus. We describe him, especially during this season. What Jesus is like, how he acts, what he was like when he walked among us on earth. But how do you describe Jesus? How do you think of Jesus when you're on your way to work and you pass one of those crosses uh, that's lit up or, or you see a church steeple and you think of Jesus? What do you think of? What's he like? Is he distant? Is he close? Is he made up? Is he totally fake? What is he like? Is he mysterious or is he mythical? And that's an interesting question. Many people have described Jesus in many different ways. And, and whether we want to admit it or not, Jesus is this season. And in a few days, millions upon millions of people around the world, they estimate 2,000 languages, people will sing about a little Jewish baby born in a manger. That's powerful. So what is, who is Jesus to you? What is he like to you? Does he get angry when you mess up? Does he comfort you when you hurt What's he like? Listen to how John, the disciple, one of Jesus' closest disciples, described him. 
and John many, many years after Jesus had risen from the tomb and then raised uh, into, went into heaven, John, as an old man, describes Jesus this way. The Jesus that he walked with, the Jesus that he ate with, laughed with, cried with, and spent a lot of time with. And this is the way he describes him. In his gospel, John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. He describes him as a word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John describes Jesus as word. He capitalizes word if you look in your Bibles. That's an interesting way to describe Jesus. And he just doesn't describe him as word, he describes him as with God and he describes him as God, which seems confusing. But it's not confusing if you look at verse uh, verse 3, through him all things were made. So God spoke, let there be light, and somehow When the word went through Jesus, it became light, and it was good. Jesus is the conduit of God's will, and not just on on Christmas when he was born, and not not just during Jesus' ministry and his death and his resurrection. Jesus has always been God's word. God does his will through Jesus. It makes it a little bit bigger than what we typically think of it. John goes on in verse 9 to describe him this way. The true light that gives light to everything. Everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and, and through the world was made through him. And the world did not recognize him. Didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not recognize him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. John's doing something in his gospel, and it's powerful. He's describing Jesus as a word. The one who carries the will of the Father. And and he describes him as as light. And he says this little line, which he came to which his own, to his own. That's the nation of Israel. Israel worshipped Yahweh. And they studied Yahweh. and And they made sacrifices to Yahweh. And they listened to the prophecies of Isaiah and Ezekiel and Nehemiah and many, many prophets. They recorded these things down and they memorized them and they meditated on them. So when Jesus shows up and Israel does not recognize him, it would be like passing your father on the street and not recognizing him. The one who made you into being is here and you don't recognize him. But... Those who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not permission, not a, well, I guess you can come in. He gave us the right. This is a birthright given to us so that we can be children of God. This isn't on the slides, but it's my favorite verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. This is Jesus, one of His closest friends, describes Him this way. And it's powerful. He describes him as word. He describes him as the fulfillment of God's purpose. John calls him life. And you get this picture, at least I get this picture, when when God spoke life into the world, it passed through Jesus and became life. Jesus is the author of life because he is the fulfillment of God's desire to create life. John also calls him light. And if you've ever been in a dark room or a a dark field and and you see a flicker of light, you know how powerful it is. And and light is is a powerful thing even Today, in our, in our Christmas season, there's a house down the road and they, they have a little station out front where you can turn into, I think it's an AM radio station, you can listen to the, the lights are flickering and there's music playing and it's this powerful thing and it causes a huge traffic jam. That's me. I'm like stopped at the middle of the road and going, whoa! It's powerful. Light does something to us. And John says, yes, yes, he's, he's like Light. This is the gospel. If you hear people talk about the gospel, this is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus, the word, the light of life that we have, he came and he walked among us and and he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he grew up and he walked right up to the cross and he died for you and he died for me. And it didn't stop there. It wasn't just enough that he sacrificed himself. He, he beat death so that we don't have to taste it. And he rose to the right hand of the Father where he sits waiting to return to take us home. This is the gospel. And it's because of the word. It's because of the light that this gospel exists This is the thing that is too good to be true for many people. You know, it can't be that simple. It can't be that easy. Just this this God sacrifices himself for me so that I can have eternal life. It's just too much. I don't recognize him. That's what the world said. When Jesus was here and when he was dwelling among us, he said these words. In John chapter 8, again, this is the disciple John describing this. John 8, 12, Jesus himself said, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. These these people, the first century audience that Jesus is talking to were well-educated people. They knew every prophecy, every word, every paragraph. They had it memorized. They had the entire Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures, they called it. They had it memorized. And when Jesus would say something like, I am the light of the world, they would would automatically know exactly what he was referring to. And they would look at each other with shifty eyes going, "Did did he just really claim to be the one that Isaiah prophesied about? Whoa, Jesus of Nazareth, that's a big, tall order to fill. Do you know what you're saying? Don't play around with, I am the light. Because you have to back up what you're saying. I am the light of the world. The same phraseology that Isaiah used in Isaiah chapter 9. When he said a great light has dawned and a a dark, a nation that lives in darkness has seen this light and it produces hope. That's the light that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine just sitting there listening to Jesus? And, and if you can imagine, if, if, if you remember when you first placed your faith in Jesus, or maybe you're on the fence right now and you're just not sure if this is who he says he really is and you're not sure if you've placed your faith, but, but can you imagine just sitting there going, Jesus, this rabbi, this, this guy who we know is from Nazareth, we, we don't know who his dad is, but we know who his mom is, and, and can I get my head around, he's reciting Isaiah, and he's, and he's saying that he is the fulfillment of this, this amazing prophecy that the nation has been waiting for, and, and as it starts to hit you, you start to go, no, I think I believe. I, I think he is who he said he was. And I can't answer all the questions about who his dad was and where he came from. And some people say he came from Bethlehem and others say from Nazareth and we're not sure. And uh, I don't know about all that, but I'm, but I'm starting to believe. And you can feel the spark of light hit your heart. And you start to go, oh, this is what the disciples felt like. Every time he spoke, they would, he would say something and they would go, oh, I can see that fulfillment. This is him. This is the Messiah. This is the one that will take away my sin and will take away the pain. This one is the one whose law is love and, and, and his gospel is peace and his name, and in his name, all oppression shall cease. That's powerful. But it gets better. Jesus was and is the light of the world and he he is who John claimed he was and he is who Isaiah prophesied about, but it gets better. To follow Jesus, the one they call light, he deposits light in you and light starts to grow inside of you. And just when you think that that feels great, And aren't I happy that I'm secure in who I am? The light continues to grow. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. This is in his famous Sermon on the Mount. 
you have to go back and read it if you're not familiar with it. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And the people around him are going, oh, he, he just said he, he was the light, and now, now I'm the light, and, and how does this work? A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, Jesus is saying, I'm the light, but let your light shine before others, and, and they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So just when you get a secure idea and you place your faith in Jesus and that hope deep inside you starts to build, you realize that as this light grows, you become less concerned with yourself and you become more concerned with this light impacting those around you. And Jesus describes it like a city on a hill. You can't hide it. You can't hide it. It's too bright. It grows inside of you. So this is what we've learned. Jesus has prophesied by Isaiah, came and was born and walked among us and died for our sins and was raised from the dead as prophesied and did it all because he loves you. He loves you. And he had you in mind as he hung there from the cross. That's my Jesus. That's your Jesus. That's the one they call the Word. That's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am. And he gave it up for you. That is powerful. It's almost too good to be true. And this hope when you, when you first place your faith in Jesus and you first begin to understand that he is who he said he was and, and it starts to grow in you, you start to understand the phrase in the song, a thrill of hope. And maybe you're not sure. Was that what I thought it was? I'm not sure. But as it grows, you become more and more and more confident. And suddenly, the things that matter to you don't matter anymore, and, and suddenly you, you stop caring so much about what you have, and you start caring more about what you can give away to the point when the Roman government says, you can't worship that Jesus, you go, I, I don't care, I'm going to worship him, and then you can kill me if you want, but because I just, the light, it's just growing, and it's coming out of me, and I can't stop it. They say in the first two and a half centuries, more Christians were killed than in all of the rest by ratio, obviously, there's more people in the world. But the first two and a half centuries was the fastest period of growth in the church. Because you can't stop the light. Like John says, the darkness can't put it out. This is who Jesus is, and, and this is the way people describe him. When the light starts to grow inside of you, people take notice. And Jesus promised some will really love that about you. But many, many will hate it and reject you because of Jesus. That's what he warns us. And there's this interesting thing that goes on when you, when you step into the light and you trust Jesus for the first time. 
and the light is so bright it almost burns you. And, and you take a, a feebled step and, you, and, and Jesus is beckoning and you're trying to follow him. But the closer you get to the light, something happens that makes a lot of Christians kind of shut it down. Kind of put that bowl over the lamp and kind of hide it away so no one knows. The thing that happens to the light, it's so bright, it, it exposes you. And it shows you and God and, and those around you your faults and your fallacies and your mistakes and the places where you think you're better than you are and the lies that you've told and the ideas that you had that were so bad. See, the light exposes you. And it's so bright it hurts. And a lot of people take that first step into the light and they go, whoa, this is brighter than I... I mean, what if people find out that I'm wrong? <laughs> what if people find out that, that I'm not as confident as I'm making everyone think I am? What, what if people find out my thoughts and my mistakes and that's too much? The good news is Jesus is good and he's good on his promise and you're going to be in heaven and, and, and that's okay. But Jesus has more and he wants you to take another step and another step into the light. This is the path of hope. Some of you maybe know this, maybe don't, but I had eye surgery a few years ago. And this certain kind of eye surgery is called PRK. I don't know what it stands for, but I can tell you what they did, and I can tell you how bad it hurt. PRK is basically where they hold your eyelids open, and they take two lasers simultaneously, and they go, boom, and they shoot you with lasers right in the eyes. And then they slap glass contacts over your eyeballs, and your eyes heal to the right thickness so you can see clearly again. It's like LASIK, but only it's like the, the, the painful version. As it turns out, I'm really sensitive to light. Really sensitive. I like sunglasses a lot. You see me wear them a lot because light actually hurts my eyes. This analogy is interesting that as you step into the light and you get deeper and deeper into the light, it hurts you. It's painful because it's reminding you that you are not anything without Jesus. It reminds you that you're not valuable outside of his death for you. It reminds you that, that you are not the sum of your mistakes and you are not the sum of your successes. That the reason you exist and the reason that you're so valuable is because God made you and he designed you to be valuable. That's the reason that we are confident. That's the reason we are confident in Christ. And the deeper you go into this light, the more you realize that's the only thing that makes me valuable. And I don't got it figured out. And I don't have the answers. And I'm going to make mistake after mistake after mistake. And this light, it exposes that. But if you keep going, and you keep taking step after step, following Jesus as he's beckoning you deeper and deeper, you're going to start to care less and less about yourself. And you're going to start to care more and more about those people who desperately need this light. This is the path of hope. It's the path of light as we follow the one who is light as he beckons us. But I, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. So don't feel like you've got to raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. It might embarrass you. Rhetorical. I don't know all of you. I don't know all your stories. 
Maybe you're here because someone invited you. Maybe you're here because you just thought you'd try out the church down the, the street. Maybe you're here because someone loves you so much they told you you were coming. Have you ever got that? It's not a request. You're coming with me, and you're like, whoa, okay. Maybe you're here because your parents instilled in you when you were young that going to church was part of your faith, that you cared about that, and you've, you've grown and, and, and nourished that part of you, so you've been coming to church as long as you can remember. I will tell you, if, if you're one of those people that just walked in and you don't know anybody, don't worry, I invited you. <laughs> I've been praying for you. In fact, I've, I've been praying for all of you, and many of us pray for you. Whether you've been coming for 25 years or if this is your first 25 minutes in. <laughs> but if you look around this room, you were probably invited. So, this is what light looks like. Light is happening in here. People care, and they invite their friends to church. They invite their neighbors to church. They, they invite their family to church because this is, this is where we find hope. This is the place that we get to let everything from the world kind of fall off us for an hour and just focus on deep truth. That's love. That's light. That's light coming through that person that invited you. Maybe it wasn't today or last week. Maybe it was 25 years ago. They invited you and you, and you haven't stopped since. That's light. And that's what hope looks like. This is the thrill of hope. And this is who our Messiah is. This is what it feels like when Jesus Christ's love comes through you and it impacts someone around you. I don't know where you'll be this Christmas. I don't know if it's going to be the most magical day of the year or if it's the day that you just want to occupy your mind because you don't want to think about the thing that Christmas reminds you of. But I know this. I know that hope is an option for you. I know that hope is an option for you. He's described as the word as the light of life. And he's asking you to step into that light. And if you've stepped into that light already, he's asking you to walk deeper and closer to that light. Even though it hurts and it exposes your weaknesses. So step into the light and walk. So that's what he's asking. For you, walking in the light might look like this Christmas picking up the phone and calling that person that you haven't talked to in years. Walking in the light might look like inviting that neighbor who you know is alone for the holidays, even though it's going to be an awkward conversation, invite them over for dinner. Walking in the light might look like you loving that person in your life even though they do not deserve it. Maybe you are that person. <laughs> I don't know what walking in the light looks like for you, but I can tell you the one that is the light of the world is beckoning you deeper. So this Christmas season, answer the one his law is love and his gospel is peace. 
and his name, his chains shall he break for the slave. The slave is our brother, the song says. And his name, all oppression shall cease. That's beautiful. So will you step out into the light, even though it's painful, and walk with me? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to just take a few minutes and think about who you are. Lord, thank you for giving us value and for loving us even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for considering us important enough to die for us and then to beckon us forward into eternity. Thank you for being the light that is so bright it's, it hurts. Thank you for being right there with us as we take one feeble step after another deeper into this place that we're, we feel exposed. God, I ask that we would all take this step deeper into the light this Christmas season and that we would all be able to shine the light that you've given us to the world around us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.